Hello, I'm Paul Evers, co-founder and CEO of Riff, and I beat the Alphan Path by not even being aware there is one. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual and weird success stories to help us think outside the box and most importantly, see the bigger picture in our lives and careers and this thing, whatever it is, called our life's work. Well, my guest today is Paul Evers, and he did some research and discovered a massive problem. 70% of the fruit that surrounds our beloved sacred coffee beans goes to waste. And this fruit, well, apparently it's called cascara, and it's a superfruit, if such a term exists, and it also happens to be caffeinated. So Paul discovered a way to make a carbon-neutral energy drink from this primarily waste product of the coffee industry, helping out farmers to get a new revenue stream, it's helping out the planet, and it's also helping out consumers with a healthier beverage in the process. It's awesome. It's the exact kind of idea that I love so much, and it's hard to believe that no one has done it until now. Paul's Oregon-based startup has already raised several million dollars in funding and has been featured on many of the world's top media outlets. So here's Paul Evers, founder and CEO of Riff. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, lack of awareness is the first step, they say, towards making meaningful progress. So uh, maybe describe a little bit about how you are not aware of a path and what kind of path you eventually found yourself on. Well, it kind of reminds me, I remember uh, reading uh, quite a while ago about a, an architecture group that was relaying out the pathways for a university. Uh, or maybe it was the, I think they built the buildings first and they didn't build the paths and what they did was they planted grass and then they just let people uh, define which were the most efficient and effective and most useful paths by wearing down the grass. And then they paved those paths. So that was um, completely avoiding any kind of predetermination or sort of, I guess, the theory as to how people would best use uh, or get from one building to the next and just let the, the actual human experience define what those most efficient paths and, and best paths were. Was that conscious or was that just laziness? Because that happened at my school as well. You have quads or quadrangles and everything's on a square grid, but of course the diagonal path was the one that was the most well-worn. No, that was a, that was a, a conscious exercise. Interesting. They, uh, they convinced the university, the institution, to allow them to do it that way. Interesting. So looking maybe at the market they were yeah. maybe they were traipsing in mud and you know grass blades and in, into the classroom. I'm not sure, but anyways, that um, it was successful. I, I think that's an interesting study. It's a more of an, a kind of an anthropological approach. You know, really studying how humans actually work, uh, and then design around that versus imposing a system uh, that might be more efficient from a construction or cost perspective uh, in defining the way that people would use a building or a structure or a campus. Do you think that that's the very definition of good entrepreneurship? Well, I think so, actually. Um, and I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur with uh, consumer packaged goods, uh, you're humbled on a continuous basis uh, because we think we have a great idea. We think we know what people are gonna like. And then they remind us um, all the time that we don't quite have it right. And the key is how do you gain that insight and have confidence moving forward with a 
product or design a brand, um, you know, positioning all those things uh, to make sure that you're, you've got something that actually resonates with consumers. And so you have to listen. You have to listen. And so I think that exercise, that architectural exercise with defining the patterns on campus was more about listening first and then design uh, second. Yeah, that makes sense. And the subject of today's talk is energy or caffeine, two things that I need very, very badly at eight in the morning, generally on a weekday. Got my coffee cup right here. Can't live without it. And we're also going to talk briefly. We're going to launch into this with the subject of teeth. Because why is it, you have to explain this to me, that everything that gives you caffeine is bad for your teeth. If you look at any dentist's piece of material, they always say, don't drink any soda, soda's bad for you. Don't drink coffee, coffee will hurt your teeth, tea will hurt your teeth. What is the best way to ingest caffeine that will not hurt my teeth? How do I get energy without damaging the rest of my body? You know, I had never heard that before. Now, I'm aware of staining teeth, Coffee stains teeth, but I didn't realize that it kind of broke down the the broke down the structure of the teeth. Is that what you're saying? It's something that I've heard. Yeah, it's I think the acidity. They believe that they're they're all highly acidic. They all break down. They wear hmm. the, the old tooth in a petri dish experiment, or soak an egg in any of these things, and the eggshell will disappear or be horribly disfigured. Something like that. <laughs> well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a new that's a new idea to me. Uh, so I'm, I I have no response. I I apologize, but right. maybe I can get my dentist on the phone right now and I can okay. talk to him and see what he has to say. Well, we're going to talk about coffee specifically, and what is it about the coffee that has been such a problem? You talk about looking at the way things are. What is the problem with the way things are with regards to coffee as it is made or has been? Well, you know, coffee's been around for four or five hundred years. It was started in countries like Yemen, Ethiopia. And uh, so it was introduced into the U.S. in the mid-1800s. I just uh, finished watching, I think, all of 1886, and, and they were drinking coffee on the, on the Oregon Trail. Uh, the coffee back then was, um, you know, a lower-grade coffee, as you can imagine, right? I mean, we've got specialty coffee now. It's really beautiful, wonderful coffee. Back then, it was, it was pretty low-grade coffee. And it, the common practice when drinking coffee, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, um, you know, meandering a little bit, but uh, I think coffee is such an interesting category because when it was first introduced to the U.S., it was like, I, I, you know, the industry said we know it tastes bad, but if you just add these two other ingredients, cream and sugar, it'll actually taste quite nice. And I can't imagine introducing any kind of product today and saying just buy these two other things to make it taste good. So coffee um, has a high, you know, in its, you know, when you're brewing black coffee, it has a high perceived acidity and bitterness. And so people are always looking for ways to balance those with a sweetener or dairy. And when we got into coffee, we were kind of purists. We, you know, we were, we were studying coffee and the, the coffee flavor wheel, which has such an incredible range of flavors that are naturally inherent in coffee when you're looking at all the beautiful, wonderful, specialty coffees that are produced today, uh, a range of flavors that includes, um, you know, floral, citrus. So anyways, we, we were um, kind of purists uh, in our approach to coffee. We believed that the cold brewing process actually brought those flavors through because it uh, diminishes significantly um, the acidity and bitterness within coffee and allowing those flavors to shine through without having to muck it up muck the coffee up with dairy and sweetener. 
So when we were first entered the the coffee space, uh, we were bringing a craft sensibility to coffee. We, you know, have a lot of us had craft beer backgrounds, beer brewing backgrounds. Uh, one of our co-founders came to us from Stumptown, had a you know rich experience uh, and um, resume. Uh, uh, and, um, excuse me. Had a lot of rich experience within coffee. And he, in fact, he's the one who invented nitro cold brew. Um, and so we were bringing a craft sensibility to coffee. We opened a tap room. We had 30 taps. We were doing experimental things. Wow. We were doing a lot about, you know, collaborations with breweries, distilleries. Uh, we had one of the coolest things that we were pouring across the taps was a hot nitro cold brew coffee. It was brewed cold. Stored cold, delivered to the tap system cold, and then heated and nitrogenated just before um, being poured through the tap. Uh, that that was super awesome. cool. It kind of, yeah, it presented more like a latte uh, than it did uh, cold brew because it was you know had the nitrogenation uh, there, which was really fantastic. And so uh, we're you know with the crap you know with the approach of um, bringing a craft sensibility to coffee. Innovation was our cornerstone. So we started experimenting with coffee fruit or cascara, and that's everything but the bean, basically. And what blows me away when I found out that, you know, coffee was a fruit, I I knew it was a fruit, but I didn't realize it was a fruit that was surrounded by a really wonderful fruity pulp. Uh, The coffee beans was surrounded by a wonderful fruity pulp that was naturally sweet, naturally caffeinated, and had really an um, interesting and wonderful exotic flavor profiles like dried fruit um it has sweetness had a tartness uh so it was really incredible and so we uh started experimenting with this and then we were so intrigued by the exotic flavor notes and then we also learned about its nutritional value it's actually a superfruit it scores very high on the superfruit scale and is loaded with antioxidants magnesium potassium iron polyphenols it's really an amazing fruit uh, but because coffee has been around for four or five hundred years and so deeply entrenched in the, um, you know, in everybody's conscience uh, of what coffee is, it is black roasted beans that we grind and we brew hot. Maybe now we brew cold, but we have no idea that there's this red, luscious fruit that surrounds the bean. The bean is actually a two-headed seed. So we started, you know, doing our own desk research and reaching out to trade organizations and trying to learn, like, what are, what is the, what are people doing with this? Um, what is the standard use of coffee fruit or cascara? That's when we stumbled upon what we believe to be a massive sustainability issue and what we discovered to be what we call coffee's dirty, not so little secret. Mm. And on your website, you mentioned something like 70% of all of this cascara fruit is just tossed, just left to rot. Why do you think that is? Why would nobody have thought of a use for this until now? Well, you know, so getting at is, is you know, coffee was a, is a massive industry, right? It's one of the world's largest traded commodities, uh, agricultural commodities. And so the industry is all about producing beans uh, and with a blind eye to the fruit. And, you know, the, the, I think there have been brands and large coffee companies that have tried to do something with it. And there are some that are making inroads to it, um, like ourselves. But nobody's really telling the story like we are. And we wanted to tell the story with integrity. So we partnered with Oregon State University, a senior climate change scientist there, 
to to partner on an in-depth environmental impact study. And that's where we learned these numbers, right? The 70% of it is thrown to waste. So there's about 25 billion pounds of green coffee produced for export annually across the globe. That yields about 100 billion pounds of this luscious coffee fruit or cascara, of which 70% is thrown to waste. 30% is converted to biofuels or compost converted to fertilizer or used as an animal feed. And the, the 70% is wasted in a variety of ways, sometimes in the back corners of coffee uh, farmers' plantations. Uh, some of it is dumped into rivers and streams, whereas it decomposes, it depletes the water of oxygen, killing off fish and aquatic life. But the majority of it is hauled off into to landfills and piled into mountains. Um, I, uh, it's just, it's just been, you know, coffee, I think um, maybe is a bit, as an industry, I think is embarrassed that it has created this massive sustainability issue because as this fruit is wasted, thrown to waste and decomposing in landfills, et cetera, it's, it's um, producing methane gas equivalent to 14 and a half million metric tons of carbon dioxide. That's the same level of emissions as 3 million automobiles. So um, it's, it's, it is unbelievable, it's mind-boggling how massive this issue is and why isn't anybody really doing anything about it. There are a few that, like I mentioned, that are doing something, which is great. But it's just, it is, it's a result of lack of awareness, which leads to lack of demand. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity to do right by coffee, do right by coffee farmers, do right by the planet, uh, by translating, upcycling this traditionally wasted fruit uh, into, um, you know, food and beverage products that appeal to a mass audience. Mm. When you say that 30% wasn't wasted, is it that is that regional? Is there a region difference here that some people are not wasting more of it and others are wasting all of it? Or is that across the board what you tend to find in different areas that produce coffee? That, that's an average. Um, I was talking to an importer of Kenyan coffee. He's actually from Kenya. And he was, uh, he was reaching out to Rift because he thought um, – that could be a, a positive strategic move for Kenyan coffee would be to have a high quality cold brew producer use Kenyan coffee and then be able to celebrate that origin. And I was asking him about what they do with the fruit and uh, explaining to him that uh, this actually was a super fruit that was tasty and had incredible nutritional value. This was completely new information to him. And I asked him, I said, you know, in Latin American countries, uh, the name, the term for it is cascara, or uh, pronounced more accurately, cascara. And in Yemen, it's kator, and then in other countries, it's different names. And I asked him, what, what is the name that you guys give to this in Kenya? He said, there is no name for it. It's just trash. Right. And, and in the meantime, he, he was talking about, you know, they're dealing with warming temperatures. That's one of the big greatest threats to coffee because coffee's grown in a very narrow temperature window, you know, in the 60s and 70s in Fahrenheit. And so they, what they've been doing there in um, Kenya is actually planting macadamia trees to create shade and reduce the temperatures on the plants. 
And he was going on and on about how they're utilizing 100% of what the macadamia tree uh, mm-hmm. produces from, you know, harvesting nuts to using the casing around the nuts and et cetera, et cetera, to protect um, a, a critical agricultural commodity for Kenya uh, where they're wasting 70% of what the plant has to produce. That's incredible. So you discover this, you realize that this is a massive problem. When did you decide that this was something that you wanted to go about solving? Well, we were already experimenting with, you know, cascara. Um, you know, that's the dried form of the fruit that is imported. And uh, we were we were just, you know, we were amazed by the flavor profiles. And so we created a product line. At that time, we called it Alter Ego, but that was our cascara uh, product line. So we'd already produced that. And then we started wondering about, you know, how other people are using this. It was the first, we believe it was the first sparkling uh, cascara beverage on the market. The first uh, that actually positioned itself as an energy drink. The reason why it's positioned as an energy drink is because it's naturally caffeinated. Uh, we, we like to say that, you know, um, you know, the energy drink category is incredibly competitive. Uh, it's dominated by behemoth, behemoth brands like Monster, Red Bull, Coke, and Pepsi. And it's, um, it's not an easy category to break into. And so we like to say that uh, the energy drink category chose us. We didn't choose it because we're uh, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, coming up with a, a, an elegant solution to this massive sustainability problem. Yeah. Uh, so that's how we started. And then we uh, conducted the study. We continued to refine the, the formulation, the branding. We, we conducted our own research connecting with uh, college-age um, folks from up and down the West Coast and get their input on brand positioning, messaging, hierarchy, and then also on sensory, taste, and product experience. And um, so that's uh, the, the more and more we learned, uh, the, the, what, led, what that led to was really a significant transformation of what Riff was as a brand from being a brand really focused on bringing a craft sensibility to the coffee space, redefining what coffee was, exploring more uh, more uh, opportunities within coffee. And then uh, this whole experience and learning about this massive sustainability issue and, and the incredible promise of coffee fruit, what it has to offer. Uh, then we, we transformed into becoming a purpose-driven company. And then the next thing you did was you slapped your logo on a bunch of extreme athletes are already covered by Red Bulls. So I guess extreme farmers, you said every farmer in Kenya has to have the logo on it. I mean, extreme sustainability people. How did you uh, get the word out there? Well, we're still working on that. Um, And so, you know, it's highly competitive and and we're competing against big, huge brands that have just seemingly endless resources to do whatever they want. We're, you know, we're rubbing nickels together. So... We're looking for unfair advantages, and the way we're doing that is aligning ourselves with people, celebrities, personalities that have a massive following that also care about this issue and really enjoy the product. Because uh, what we, you know, we're what we're presenting is like this solution that's a win-win-win-win. Uh, we're saving, uh, you know, an incredible superfruit from going to waste. Uh, converting traditional waste streams into revenue streams for coffee farmers who are struggling to make a reliable living. 80% of the world's coffee is grown by smallholder farmers. These are farmers that have 
plantations of five acres or less. They're typically carrying on a you know, multi-generational legacy of growing coffee. And it's really, really, really tough right now. Uh, so doing that and then, you know, um, translating that, uh, that, that uh, traditional waste stream into a revenue stream, not only for farmers, but also for exporters and mills and importers. And then, tr- you know, taking the wonder of coffee fruit and translating that into products that benefit human health and well-being. So we're solving a lot of problems uh, with this, and we believe we've landed on what we call a perfect overlap between an altruistic purpose and an enterprise opportunity, where you have everything seemingly in alignment. Uh, The only super challenge is that we're in a highly competitive category of energy drinks. Mm. And on a caffeine scale, we know that coffee has much more than tea or green tea. How much caffeine does the fruit itself have compared to the beans of coffee? It's lower than beans, but every part of the coffee plant actually has caffeine. Uh, It's a natural insecticide, I guess you would say, that protects the bean. Um, But so it's lower. So a, you know, 12 ounce, we have, you know, a 12 ounce can. uh, That's going to be significantly lower than a cold brew. But um, inherently, and it, it depends on the source, the you know where you're getting the the fruit from. Uh, but typically, it has like forty to fifty milligrams of caffeine. So we're augmenting that with caffeine from green coffee to position it as a as I, I guess line lined up with uh, other uh, energy drinks in the category at 120 milligrams or 10 milligrams per ounce of caffeine. Uh, but it's inherently uh, caffeinated, and I think what we're going to be looking at is line extensions that would include a lower caffeine um, version, which I think would be appealing to a segment of the of the consumer audience out there. We we hear often uh, that people have a, you know sensitivity to caffeine. Mm, yeah, that's true, and too much caffeine it, it kind of has a bad rap in a subsection of the population. Some people think, why would you brag about posting on Instagram that you've got a cup of coffee? It's just like bragging that you're addicted to crack or cocaine. It's something that's harmful. It's a stimulant. So what, what is with our obsession with stimulants in general? And why do some people really need it and some people really, really can't get on board? Well, there's different kinds of caffeine, for starters, and different levels of caffeine. Uh, we believe that the caffeine that we're um, that we've got in Riff Energy Plus, I got some cans right here, by the way. Ooh, get a little demo going. Uh, the ca- the caffeine that we have in this can uh, just provides a much better energy functional benefit, and that it doesn't give you the jitters of the crash. Uh, there's something about roasted coffee, maybe how that changes the caffeine. I'm not a food scientist, so I don't really know. I can't speak with expertise. But a lot of a lot of the drinks out there have synthetic caffeine. We like to say we're going to go to Mother Nature first for ingredients. So we're using caffeine that's naturally found in the coffee plant. So when you're talking about caffeine, you can't uh, you can't talk about it as um, being something that's static across all these different forms and iterations. It does vary depending on where it's coming from. Uh, but caffeine, uh, you know, I think for People too were were ritualistic, right? When you say we're ritualistic, so I maybe on some days I don't need a cup of coffee, but I have one because psychologically it gets me into the right frame of mind. Um, it's sort of like a batter 
you know, when they're, when they're getting into the box, they have this ritual routine. Maybe they undo their straps, redo them, step here, step there. They do a couple of things. And that's all getting the mind into the right mindset, you know, setting, setting it up for a hit. Um, and, and there are routines like that that do that for you. And, and one of them is the ritual of enjoying a hot cup of coffee in the morning, which I do um, myself. I'm a, I'm a cold brew coffee guy and, um, you know, the, uh, a cascara coffee fruit guy, but I have a, I enjoy a hot cup of coffee in the morning, every morning. Yeah. I'm the same way. I'm not too proud to say, but I can't begin my day without a French press. That's the first thing I do every single morning, especially when you oh, have an early a, morning. That's a good one. That's the stainless steel one? Yeah, the stainless steel double walled keeps it hot longer, but I find that it's the easiest way, but I, I cannot begin my day, especially because I'm often up very, very early in the morning or even have to be ready for stuff like this. And it's just, it is definitely a ritual for me. And in my life, I have experienced, I'm, I'm very fascinated with things that make you more healthy. So I try to eat healthier. I try to eat a whole foods, mostly plant-based diet. I try to replace things that are unhealthy from my diet and uh, try to exercise and try to generally optimize parts of my life. I have given up various things at various points in my life. I've given up alcohol before, no trouble. Giving up caffeine for a month was the hardest thing I have ever done. Mm. It was really, well, really, well, really tough. I was so sluggish. I felt just mm. like my brain was in a fog. I just mm. couldn't get started in the same way because when, when I, I hit the ground running, I don't have any warm up time when I begin my work day. I literally open up my computer, power it on, take my first sip and I go. There is literally no ramp up in my work. I just begin at full speed and then go for several hours until I wear out. Often I don't even eat. I'm not saying this is healthy, by the way. It's just the way that I do things. I don't even look up from my work hurricane until at least mid afternoon. And then I kind of drink some water or go get some food. But when I didn't have that, it was just very, very hard to be motivated. I felt sluggish. I felt slow. I felt less productive for three weeks, for three very, wow. very hard, grueling wow. weeks. And then after that, I felt great. <laughs> the fourth <laughs> week, I felt amazing. And then I realized that to keep the ritual, what I could do is just drink hot water. So I just boiled literal water. And the feeling of just drinking hot water kind of gave me that ritualistic feeling of I'm drinking coffee or something like it. And eventually it was much better. This was pre-pandemic, then the pandemic hit and I was in a swirl of different kinds of emotions. I said, forget that. I went straight back to coffee and I never broke the trend since. So it just it's this interesting relationship that I certainly have with caffeine. And again, others say no stimulants is bad for your sleep, especially or no coffee afternoon, no caffeine. And other people seem to function or even thrive with them, which I just find it very fascinating, our general relationship to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, it's really something. You know, there's a good book. It's only available in audio format, but it's Michael Pollan's book on caffeine. Oh, I didn't know he did caffeine specifically. Yeah. I know he's done a few things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a it's a really good one. It, okay. it gives a lot of insight into actually, you know, how caffeine works. You know, and, and different people metabolize caffeine differently. You know, we, we all uh, – so we were doing a Costco Roadshow for our Riff Energy Plus – uh, and we had one flavor. This is in Southern California. We had one flavor. It was get a guava. But we would, you know, we were handing out samples and getting, you know, selling case product. And I, I love this this drink because uh, the energy benefit that I get from it is um, includes mental acuity. 
So I would have three or four in a day and people thought I was crazy because it's 120 milligrams um, each can. And, and then I would hold my hand out and say, you know, the, I, you don't get the jitters or the crash. Check how, how steady my hand is. Right. I've, I've had three of them. And it may be that my body metabolizes caffeine differently. That's a well, massive amount of caffeine. I started with coffee too, hot coffee, and then three or four uh, energy pluses throughout the day. Because hof- coffee is 100 milligrams, right? If I remember that correctly. It's, a, you know, somewhere between 80 and 120. It, it all depends on the, you know, the variety of coffee, the roasting profile, how you brew it, what the extraction method is. You know. it's, it's interesting. And again, you know, stimulants in general, because people have ADHD, they take Adderall or Ritalin. There are various kinds of legal and illegal stimulants. And we haven't really reached a conclusion, it seems like, about a lot of these things. There's a famous mathematician from the last hundred years. I can't remember who, who he was. We'll find it and put it on the screen. But he took amphetamines every single day, and he contributed enormous things to the field of mathematics, one of the most prolific and amazing mathematicians ever to live. Somebody accused him of being addicted to the amphetamines that he took, and they challenged him to go a month without taking them. And he said, okay, fine. He stopped the next day. And he said to his colleagues, I just won't get anything done for a month. It's no big deal. So 30 days, no complaints, no rehab, no irritability, no nothing. He just didn't produce any meaningful work. After the 30 days, the experiment, he went back to amphetamines and went back to producing breakthroughs. So in his mind, they were inextricably linked. And he lived to be 90-some years old. He had a long and healthy life. But he just said, this is a tool that I need to deliver the kind of output that I'm used to delivering. And that's a kind of story that we have a very hard time as a society accepting because we have this innate belief that he must somehow have something wrong with him or it must harm him or he's going to have a heart attack. But I don't know if we've fully explored this, but maybe that's a subject for another talk. I just find it fascinating. It is fascinating. It'd be good to get somebody from pharma, uh, you know, on your on your podcast and that conversation. True. It's the, uh, the, yeah, the I mean, next drugs, frontier, right? All these things affect people differently. And you're right. And children as well. You say, okay, my, my kid has ADHD. So here you go. Take these pills every single day and, but, but don't have coffee because that'll stunt your growth or that's bad for you. But <laughs> I mean, who knows? Right? It all seems like kind of well, a crapshoot uh, yeah, at this point. Anything, anything your parents didn't want you to do stunted your growth. Right, exactly. And is that even a technical term? Do we even believe that no, anymore? No, no, no. It feels no, very, no. very pseudoscience. <laughs> um, but okay, so we we believe that there's different types of caffeine. We believe that there's different types of energy. I think you mentioned colleges earlier when I was in college, obviously, you got to study and you're shoving down monster energy drinks. I remember that. Or if you have road trips, you're driving 20 hours, you need tons of energy drinks. That was the go-to in my college days. Um, what is bad about the other commercially sold energy drinks? What's not great about it? You mentioned the crash and synthetic caffeine, but why is that bad? Well, uh, the crash or synthetic caffeine is just a, if you enjoy it, great. I, I, I did have somebody at Costco say, well, I like the jitters. Good for you. I mean, you know, that's a personal choice. But a lot of people say they just, you know, they, they you know, used Monster Red Bulls and had uh, continual experiences with crash and jitters and they didn't like it. So they gave it up. They're, they're actively seeking an alternative that was better for you. The other thing that is, uh, I think is really important on the landscape now is just, you know, climate change or what we now know as climate crisis and what's happening with these 
ever increasing, um, you know, weather, significant weather events. I feel like I read about one almost every other day, if not every day, what's going on out there. So people are now actively seeking out products that are sustainable, you know, responsible either in the, the making of the product or the packaging. And Riff Energy Plus is the first energy drink in the country to be certified carbon neutral. It might be the first energy drink in the world to be certified carbon neutral. And so that, that's a differentiator. So, you know, more and more Gen Zers, millennials, they're not just shopping for against a set of, um, you know, sort of needs. Uh, they're also shopping against a set of values and wanting to do right, wanting to make a difference in the world. And so that's that's a big differentiator beyond the you know the functional benefit of caffeine in the way of energy. Riff Energy Plus also has an immunity benefit. We're going to be extending that to include other benefits like focus and recovery and um, and di- different different things. Whatever whatever's trending, whatever people seem to need, we're going to be looking at extending that. Whatever in in, in whatever the this beverage would accommodate in a form. But that's a, that's that's one thing. Um, our energy plus is made with, uh, real fruit juices, real fruit, real fruit juice, purees, guava, passion fruit, uh, blackberry, acai. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's verified non-GMO. I think a lot of, you know, this growing segment of conscientious consumers are seeking things that don't come with a bit of a question as to whether or not it, it may have, you know, some negative impact on your physiology or biochemistry. And prefer to have something that you know comes from nature, and uh, so that that's what we're positioning Riff Energy Plus as is a healthy alternative in that space. And on your website, you use the language win-win-win, which is a term that I've used on this show a lot, and it's basically the purpose of this show. The other term you said is meandering off the path, and that could also be the title of this podcast. So they go, they're both. Uh, ideas, but the win-win-win in your case on the website is talking about the win for getting rid of this waste stream, the win for sustainability, the win for the planet, the win for the coffee farmer themselves because what was once garbage becomes a new source of revenue. But it's also a win-win-win when you create a business like this because you're trying to make your own personal life better. You're trying to enrich yourself while solving these other problems. And I love the idea of that. And maybe that's the millennial in me, or maybe it's just what makes me weird. But I do enjoy the thought of if we're going to build something, if we're going to build a company, why not build something that also does good along these other categories? Because we've seen enough businesses just repackaging cheap plastic crap from Alibaba or relying on these horrible shipping lanes, uh, horrible old processes that don't work anymore, won't work in the not too distant future. And when you have taken something that was previously waste, that is automatically a plus because it was just garbage. And there are a few businesses that I've, ex- I've seen on the show that have done that. And I love it every time this, all this stuff was being thrown away. We can repurpose it. That's awesome. Uh, but the other really awesome thing is that you can make a difference for yourself and for the world and you can fit these trends at the very same time. I, I think it's just, it's it's fabulous and I wish more people would think along these lines. So how does it feel now that you've taken the leap and you've taken the plunge in your own life at this point? Do you feel a sense of satisfaction knowing that you're working on a problem that matters? Absolutely. Uh, you know, purpose can make you do crazy things, you know, and um, 
we talk to a lot of people, you know, strategic advisors or potential, you know, institutional uh, funding, you know, in uh, for a later round to help us grow. And the aversion of this category is really pretty significant. It's uh, it's it, it takes a lot to win, uh, but when you're driven with purpose and you feel like you have, you know, you've identified something that really as significant promise in solving all these problems and making life easier for so many people throughout the supply chain. Uh, it causes you to do crazy things, uh, makes you go the extra mile. I mean, it's all these things that you, you read any of these stories about some amazing discovery or amazing, an amazing development. Um, and usually it has a story kind of like this, but for every success, I know there's thousands of failures. And so you have to be willing to take that risk and not be afraid. Um, and so when you have purpose, actually, uh, it, it, it grounds you in, uh, in having, and also it helps really center your, and anchor you on understanding of what you're trying to achieve. But, you know, like I like to say this, that, you know, brilliance and stupidity are like opposite ends of a spectrum, right? You can, this is the stupidest idea I ever came up with, or this is the most brilliant idea I've ever come up with. And opposite ends of a spectrum that's made of rope, and that rope is connected. And while they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, they're adjacent to each other at the exact same time. And you vacillate between the, the, the two, like, oh, God, I don't know. You, you, gotta, it, it, you have to have a, you know, a lead stomach to do this kind of thing, because it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Well, anybody who watches this show feels the very same way about me. They say he's either brilliant or an idiot. <laughs> One of the two, definitely both yeah. at the same time. Definitely no middle yeah. ground yeah. there. Yeah. Either a genius or an absolute idiot. And I think that is the challenge that social entrepreneurs or eco-entrepreneurs face in general. You have this change that you want to make. You notice something that's a problem. You say, here is an environmental catastrophe. I want to solve that. But how do I package that in a way that's palatable to the mainstream market? What do I need to do? And I was thinking about this a lot the last week. It, it kind of reminds me of if you think of those old church groups and they've got they want to get their church message out and they say, how do we reach those kids? Like, what if we make a rap song about Jesus? You know, they're trying to find ways to package something into something that it was never meant to be in. And usually that's a very, very difficult thing to do. We live in a very consumerist society where people love unboxing things. Let's unbox all of the cheap crap, plastic crap over and over again. The most popular YouTube channels just unboxing cheap plastic crap. We can't get enough of consumerism. And if you tell people, hey, maybe maybe tone down your own consumerism without anybody telling you that it's illegal, but, but maybe because it's a moral or ethical thing to do, people just say, whoa, 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 back off there, buddy. Don't tell me how to live my life. So you can't really force this message, even though you might see that we're headed towards a global catastrophe, that none of us may have a choice in 50 years, 100 years, if we're still around. So the initial metaphor that you used of the path and seeing where people go first and then building the path there is very apt for this scenario because people use energy drinks. They like energy drinks. For better or for worse, it's a part of our culture and rather than try to fight what is, you have found a way to fit this problem into something that people already use and like and know that they like and know that they use. I think that's a really cool concept. It's something that I struggle with on a daily basis, how to package it better. Um, how did you decide that this was the use 
for Cascara? Well, like I said before, we, we feel like we didn't choose the energy drink category. It shows us because Cascara coffee fruit is naturally caffeinated. So you just, that's so you're going to, you're always going to have that energy component. It might be not as strong as what we have now, but it's, it's always going to be there. It has caffeine. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the number one thing that we, and, you know, we still don't have a hundred percent certainty because we don't have mass proof of concept yet, but sure. we want to make sure that we're delivering, um, a brand, you know, a product that actually meets the desires and needs of the consumer, the, the sensory. So how does it taste? How, do, how does the, the functional benefits of caffeine or energy and the immunity, how does that affect your, um, you know, the way you feel about your body? Uh, how does that deliver and um, uh, translate for you? So you got to deliver that first because nobody's going to buy a sustainability story and compromise, um, you know, their, their need for something tasty, delicious and refreshing. So you got to make sure you meet that. And then... Uh, the whole story thing, you know, so we're trying to position it as this is a healthy alternative. We're certified carbon neutral. So that's good. If you wanted to dive into that story, you could, but at least checks, checks off this sort of ethical and moral sense of responsibility. Uh, And then, you know, does the brand feel good? Does it something, you know, so many people, uh, you know, for so many people, these brands are extensions of their own identity on you know instagram they're drinking and so does this feel like it complements my identity or is it in conflict is it does it support it so is the brand something that you identify with that's kind of the emotional benefit of the product there's the functional benefit which is you know the the product experience and that the uh, the energy and immunity benefit etc um and then the emotional benefit is going to be like to identify with the aesthetic of this brand that's on the surface but then it goes to i love what these guys are trying to do in solving major problems and doing right by consumers while doing right by coffee farmers and the planet then then you get that's where you end up with brand loyalty is when you can tell that story effectively and it's not going to be in your first meeting or your first impression. It's not going to be with products sitting passively on shelf and somebody stumbles upon it. But as they dig into it deeper, we have a QR code on our cans. You can, you know, you can uh, click on click on it and get uh, get a website that tells more of the story. That's that's what we're seeing. It's a it's it's um, take, this takes more investment from the consumer. But once they get there, once if we can get the story out, uh, if we can use you know media uh earned media as a means of getting the story out because we don't have the financial uh resources to be able to do a you know super bowl ad or some other kind of big campaign uh and then using influencers people with big audiences like like we have i think you brought this up we have a retired uh, super bowl champion vernon davis he's also a tv personality and now a film uh he's an actor he's uh, just recently well he did I think he was in Bruce Willis's last two movies that he mm. um, that he completed. Cool. I mean, the last two of Bruce Willis's career, and then he just finished a film with Morgan Freeman as well. He's done work with other um, you know well-known actors, and then has been competitor on Dancing with the Stars. He was a celebrity judge in Fox News, uh, Fox, not Fox News, but Fox's 
Fox is celebrity um, judge. Uh, <laughs> they should have a celebrity judge. I'd like to see that. I don't know. It's what just kind of natural when you say Fox false. News. News comes right next. Yeah, I'm right. He could be. That'd be good. Yeah. That. <laughs> Incorrect, sir. <laughs> yeah, no. Fox's uh, game show, Domino Masters, and uh, he's been on. You know, name that tune, et cetera. So he he has a massive following of three to four million people. Wow. And he's been a big proponent of Riff. And then we signed an NIL deal. Do you know what NIL is? Nope. You know, Nephew-in-law? It, <laughs> or it pronounces, uh, it spells nil, which means nothing. But it's name, image, likeness. This is the whole change in the NCAA rules where collegiate athletes can now monetize their name, image, and likeness. Uh, and so they yeah. can do brand deals. So we, we were kind of early into that. And we um, signed a, a, a pretty innovative or different kind of a deal with Sedona Prince. Do you, have you heard the name Sedona Prince? No, but I'm horribly ignorant about sports. I, I don't follow them. That's okay. <clears throat> well, you might I'm know. so darn popular. Anyways. Well, 90% 90, 90 of the people who I ask that question, they don't know who she is. Okay. And then I say, well, she is the collegiate basketball player who called out the disparity between the men's and women's weight training facilities at the March Madness tournament. Okay. And launched, launched a message on TikTok. Does that sound familiar? Nope. But again... <laughs> You're talking to the, the absolute wrong guy about all of this. I okay, do not yes, follow yes. sports, except for golf. That's it. Okay, so Sedona, she has 1 million more followers on TikTok than a brand called Nike. She's got 3.2 million Ooh. TikTok followers. She uh, was she did the red carpet at the ESPYs. Uh, so she's done a lot of really incredible things. And she is uh, Rift's chief community officer. So she cool. she's all, all all about championing, um, you know, for equity and inclusion. Uh, and she her work alone has led to significant change within the NCAA. And now, you know, the for, for this year was the first time ever that the women's national basketball tournament was actually called brand was under the brand of March Madness. Prior to that, it was only the men's and the women's had their own national championship tournament. So she's affected uh, significant change and she That's identifies awesome. with what Riff is doing because it's about advocating for the planet and advocating for coffee farmers and then also for better health and well wellness for humans. Yeah, it's, well, it's a great message and it's a great story. And you mentioned the story. And at this point, obviously, you received quite a, a considerable amount of funding, millions in funding. You know, the product's on several hundreds of grocery store shelves in nine different states. So it is growing. The message is getting out there, it seems like. Um, how did you begin that process? Did you know in the beginning that influencers were the way you wanted to go or get, getting the product in the hands of people? How did you start getting the exposure for this? It's just recognition that we don't have the resources that we need to compete. So you're figuring out how do you hack the system? And so uh, early on, actually, I, I had a an NFL agency contact me early on in the in you know within a few months after the NCAA changed their rules, and thought that Riff would be a good product for collegiate athletes. They were just starting their NIL division. This guy headed up their NIL division, and so they were seeking what they were doing is wanting to fill a pipeline of talent because they were. And up NFL agents, right? So they were exclusively focused on top uh, draft prospects for football players, collegiate football players. And so he was thinking, uh, you know, there was very early on, they were, they were wanting to 
have Raf, uh, I'm sorry, wanting to have Riff uh, be a brand that they would offer to their collegiate athletes. And um, it was very inexpensive. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he the, the agency itself was not looking to monetize these uh, NIL deals. They were focused only on the pros. So there are a couple of things that were kind of problematic for Riff in this whole thing. One is it was exclusively focused on football, exclusively focused on male, and exclusively focused on drop, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> exclusively focused on top draft prospects. And I asked, well, what about female athletes? And who, who from Oregon is on your list? Nobody from Oregon. So I started thinking about something that was a little bit more meaningful for NIL athletes. So Riff's program uh, in, includes a, a revenue share. So as these athletes drive business to letsrip.com to buy products, they actually get a significant percentage of the initial sale. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, is that we're developing a mentorship program. And so we're, we're exclusively focused on NIL athletes that are interested in entrepreneurialism and thinking about, because so many athletes are focused on just the athletic phase of their career and not really thinking beyond. And Vernon Davis provided some incredible insight is that he knows so many people who've retired from the NFL and they end up broke within a couple of years because they don't know what to do. They're used to living and spending at this level. All of a sudden they don't have any income and they, they, you know, fall off a cliff. So he's done a great job of repurposing himself as a, an entrepreneur and an actor. And uh, he's invested in a lot of different businesses. He's a Jamba franchisee. He has two production companies so he's part of the mentorship program in Sedona. You know, athletes like Sedona Prince, she considers herself an entrepreneur right now. And so she she really identified with that and really enjoyed the idea that she could have access to proven entrepreneurs like Vernon and other uh, entrepreneurs within our network. Uh, and so we're treating it more as a partnership rather than an exploitation, which is a lot of brands are just basically paying money to these collegiate athletes. Right, here you go, for, the can, uh, turn the label this way. Yeah, commoditized uh, content. You know, it's, uh, you know, for clicks and click-throughs and, and views where we're, we're wanting to champion a message. So we're looking for athletes that are not only uh, entrepreneurially oriented, but also identify with, the, with our purpose and get excited by that. Mm. Has TikTok been a valuable channel for you? Well, Sedona is just now becoming activated uh, as a brand ambassador for Riff. So I hope so. Uh, I know she has, you know, there's there's followership, right? And those numbers can be really impressive. But what's the most meaningful thing is engagement. Absolutely. And the quality of that engagement. Are they really engaged or are they just, you know, saying saying something just to kind of feel like they're a part of the conversation or are they a bot that's another issue yeah that's another one <laughs> how many hours have you got yeah, yeah, yeah yes they're a bot all of them yeah 98 yeah. yeah. um super cool it seems like yeah you're having a great message having a great story there is that selfish reason that any brand might want to do something like this because at the end of the day it's easier to sell something that has a great story behind it and this is a great story. You have to have something that 
people can wrap their head around that's different, that's unique. And it's harder to say, no, this is what I think if you're in a position where there is some greater good that's attached to something versus just give me a lot of money. I want to make more money. Say that's it. And I hope that that trend will continue with Gen Z, Gen Alpha and the future generations. I hope that the kids will continue to think along those lines and to find that these old exploitative business models are not enough. That's my hope. That's my dream. We'll see if it happens. That's my hope and dream too. I think it's happening. I believe so. Uh, But habits are really hard to change. They sure are. And it takes, it takes a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of presence. So we we consider ourselves, we're like an underdog of underdogs. Mm. And and thank God that Americans love underdogs, right? That's true. <laughs> That's true. Good yeah. morning, America. All these, you know, the, the news, they're all yeah. looking for an underdog story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, just keep pushing, pushing further is what we're about. Well, that sounds really and, and great. And we can't do it. And, you know, to the point of your you know, the theme of your podcast, the name, we can't be doing that in conventional ways. We're no. not going to win there. Nope. That's absolutely true. And again, I know that it's early and that the struggle is very real. And I do not want to minimize that. But there are some very encouraging signs, it seems like. It definitely seems like we're headed in the right direction. So that's great. And I wish you continued success. I think it's a great idea. Again, win-win-wins, what a fabulous concept if what you do could have even the slightest impact on all of this waste, that would be tremendous. It's just such a great, great thought to repurpose what was otherwise going to landfill just any time. Anybody well, has that thought. Especially say, awesome. when it's a super, and when it's a super fruit. It just seems it boggles the mind sometimes. It's like how on earth did nobody find the utility in this until now? It's just so yeah. weird. Sometimes humans are really yeah. random in that way. Well, you know, if if we were just if they're just starting coffee, you know, they just starting the, the industry we're just starting now. They, I, we argue that this is actually the better half of what the coffee plant has to offer. But if coffee that. was just launching today, I guarantee you it'd be about the fruit. But it's yeah. just you know how you have this ritual. We were talking about ritual before and habits, <clears throat> and you become blind to certain things that are just so obviously wrong or uh, an opportunity that you're completely overlooking because you're about the efficiency of your routine. And that's, that's the coffee industry. It's, it's a lot, uh, it's very disruptive to say, Oh, now we're going to process this other thing. And how do we develop that? How do we develop a market for it? All of these obstructions or uh, obstacles uh, to getting to, you know, to any kind of thing with to anything with scale. Uh, are very, very real. And we're talking to multinational copy companies that are reaching out and saying, you're like 15 steps ahead of us. They've been growing copy for you know decades and, and exporting green copy. And then they're managing this waste issue. And they haven't figured it out for themselves because you know large corporations, as you know, is like an oil tanker. And to try and get them to change directions, sort of like them yeah. having to make a U-turn in a bay, you know, it's just, uh, just as... It's little brands like Riff uh, that are going to lead the disruption, not big, not not the industry, not the the standard bearers of the industry. All right. Well, I love it. You heard it here first, and now I want to ask one thing of you before I let you close out this episode. So, 
Is there a piece of unconventional wisdom or something that you believe that other people don't believe? Um, <clears throat> that other people don't believe. Well, there's, here's a couple of things that, that I live by. And I'm not sure other people don't believe it or not. But one is when my, my own personal motto is to build meaningful relationships. And the key to building meaningful relationships is to, when engaging with the other, whether that's the planet or coffee farmers or friends or relatives, to be more interested than trying to be interesting. Yeah, that's very, very sage advice. I hope people put a pin in that one and save that. Exceptional. Well, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I do want to let you close it out. So where can people visit you? What action would you like people to take? The floor is yours to, to wrap us up here. Great. Do you, uh, you know, we could do a, um, we could do a discount code. Sure. On our website. You like that? Sounds great. Okay, so I want to thank you, first off, Ross, for having me and for being interested in the Riff story. That really means a lot. It means a lot to everybody at Riff, and oh, I think it means a lot pleasure. to the planet and to the supply chain. So what I'd love to do is to uh, invite people to go to letsriff.com, L-E-T-S-R-I-F-F.com. And on Riff Energy Plus, you for your initial order, you can get a discount of 25% with a discount code of Beat the Often. All right. Beat cool. the Often. Well, I look forward to giving it a try, and I think a lot of other people will as well. Super interested to try this. I'm excited for you. Keep fighting the good fight. I'm in your corner. I think it's a great thing that you're doing. So let me just cheer you on on this Monday morning. Have a great week. <laughs> Keep, Thank uh, you. Keep on keeping on, as they say. And uh, w with that, the official podcast is over. <laughs>